Welcome back. This is the Soft Count. So, stoked to be back after the long weekend. Had uh, watched a lot of stuff. I've been watching the NHL games. I've been watching boxing, obviously. The If you missed the Gervonta Davis knockout this weekend, you sure missed it. Because it was sweet. A six-round counterpunch to just send this dude into another realm. It was It was sick. Uh, obviously, the um, Celtics went to the finals, which is cool. I kind of thought that was kind of, I don't know. I didn't really know who was going to go. I didn't really care because I just fully convinced that Golden State's going to bulldoze whoever. But uh, I want to talk quickly about the fight. I predicted a seventh-round knockout. We got a sixth-round knockout. I was sitting there praying, like, please survive to the seventh round. Didn't didn't do that, but that's okay. Um, the fight overall was really exciting. Tank Davis only landed 24 punches in the fight. I, I heard I heard him say that after the fight was over. I was like, what? He just, he is, he moves like Mayweather and has the power of Tyson for his size, his division. It's unbelievable. To, to land 24 punches and, and really do no damage the entire fight and then just end it with the most brutal knockout you can imagine. I mean, this dude... This guy was wandering around in the back, asking what happened, asking people what ha- what happened. <laughs> he just he he that was like, oh my god. That's the kind of shit that would send me to the grave. I don't know how you survive a hit like that. That was like brutal. Overall, good night of boxing. I thought it was fun. They uh, the Showtime crew. I, <laughs> it's so like old school feeling, and and just. It reminds me of the 90s, the way they, they, they do their presentation of the program. I love it. <laughs> I love it. It's so kind of cheesy and awesome. I don't know. Boxing's great. I know people don't I know people aren't into boxing like they used to be, but it hasn't changed much. <laughs> if you come back and you watched it in the 90s, it's it's pretty similar the way they show it. Uh Gervonta Davis is he's the big money bull right now. Uh, word is, is he's leaving Mayweather Productions. I, I heard that from a dude standing at a deli. <laughs> so, I don't know. I haven't looked into that yet. But he's been fantastic. Really you know, undefeated. Fun to watch. He's not a heavyweight, though, so he'll never be... He'll never be huge, you know? <laughs> that was kind of my argument last week was everyone's kind of saying Jake and Logan Paul saved boxing. It's like, no, they, they didn't. Tyson Fury did. The heavyweight did. Tyson Fury became a superstar, and like it or not, Deontay Wilder did too. Like their their little back and forth saved boxing. It's all about the heavyweights. That's what boxing is. It's heavyweights, and honestly, you can't say that about UFC, even though I'd like to. But UFC does better when there's great heavyweights, Brock Lesnar and shit. You know, there's when there's been awesome heavyweights. I mean, Francis. The thing about Francis, though, is he's just not very relatable, and he doesn't seem very likable. It's like, if you're going to be unlikable, be a villain then. It's like he wants to be liked, but he's not likable. And so it's like, it's just kind of cringy. But like Brock didn't want to be liked, didn't care about being liked, was like fine being a villain, and which made everybody like him. <laughs> so, you know, whatever. Uh, but UFC's heydays have been you know, basically the Conor McGregor, that lightweight division. It's always been the big shit. Good nights of fights uh, this weekend. We got some fights coming up this weekend. We'll talk about that later in the show. Uh, but real quick, we, we want to move on to. Uh, we want probably talk about some NBA here. 
So the Celtics, they're just not that good. They should have won that series in five games. All the people hurt, um, but they didn't. It ended up going to seven games. My prediction now is that the at the the, the worst case scenario for Golden State is this game goes this series goes five games. I I really do believe they're going to come out and sweep the Celtics quickly, and and Steph's going to get his MVP of the finals, which he needs in his mind. I need that. People don't realize it. Like the really really great players that have achieved all kinds of crazy accolades and all this shit. There's just certain things in their mind. Like I have to have it. And in Steph's mind, I can guarantee you, he's looking at the Celtics like, this is my chance to get the MVP. LeBron's not out there. <laughs> I'm not going to get this – is, this is different. I should be able to lead Golden State and win an MVP. He wants one. There's no doubt about it. I know he's one of those guys like, oh, I only care about winning. It's like, I know you do. And it's true, you do. They've, they've definitely taught that culture. But when I turn on the TV and people talk about the greatest of all time, Steph's name still does not get mentioned ever, which is shocking to me. The more I think about it, the more it really starts, I don't know, like the more I really think about it, I guess, is the best way to put it. Like Steph is <clears throat> next to LeBron and KD. Those are the three best players of my generation. Like I was, I watched, I watched Michael Jordan as a kid. And he was obviously great. I saw Kobe as a kid. But I really caught the end. I really don't think you understand what you're seeing until you're, like, you know, older. (laughs) I mean, even when I was a teenager, like, I'm watching these things. But I wasn't engaged because I just cared about other shit. But Kobe I watched quite a bit. But then LeBron I watched all of. KD I've watched all of. Steph Curry I've watched all of. And I was an adult watching all of this you know I was like 18 when these guys came into the league and I've been watching them ever since and one of the things that I think has to be bothering Steph Curry is I'm how am I not mentioned in these conversations I have legitimately beaten everyone I've beaten everybody nobody can say that they didn't get beat by Steph Curry because he's beaten everybody and he's won championships with and without KD they're gonna probably win another one and he's just – and he's one of these guys that everybody talks about. Like, oh, he changed the game. Like, you know why LeBron didn't change the game? Because people can't do what LeBron can do. No one was born – here's the thing about what makes LeBron so great is his physical presence. He's 6'9", you know, 200 and – who knows? He fluctuates all over the place, by the way. I know people don't want to believe it, but I'm sure in, in Miami he weighed close to 300 pounds. He was gigantic, like jacked, jacked, and muscle is heavy. He's probably around 240 now, <clears throat> 6'8", 240, 250, who knows? I've always thought he's probably sitting around 260. He's big. But how do you mimic that? How do I, as a 6'2 person, mimic a 6'9? I can't. But what Steph Curry does, and I think what the popular and the majority of people around the world are like, I can do what Steph Curry does. He's kind of my size. First of all, he's not your size. It's an illusion that Steph Curry is like short. He's like six four probably. I think they list him at six three. He's tall. But outside of that, what he does in the game, people believe they can do. 
everyone believes that they could learn to shoot a basketball. And it's like, yeah, you believe that. But then here's a guy like LeBron James who's been shooting a basketball longer than everyone, as long as Steph Curry, and still doesn't shoot like Steph Curry. It's like a natural ability he has. There's no doubt in my mind that accuracy cannot be taught. It's not teachable. I've seen people with the craziest motions, you know, shooting motions that are accurate. Paul Pierce was accurate, right? And then, and so was Ray Allen, who, who's got a pure jumper. Everyone's like, oh, that's how you shoot a basketball. But then these guys come along in football and basketball and, and every sport across the world who are accurate with like a weird motion. And it's just, it's like, I mean, all you're, you're telling your brain to throw to something your eyes are seeing with your hand. It's like a, it's a, it's something going on inside your head. So it's like something that in my mind, you're just like, there's like a ceiling for everyone. And Steph Curry's ceiling is like out of this world. He can just pinpoint it and put it wherever. That's why he's good at golf. (laughs) It's like, you know, it's just one of those things that you can't really get better at. So everyone kind of, so he's changed the game, right? We've, we've, we talk about that and everyone believes he's changed the game. And so if that's true, and he's changed the game, how is he not considered top three, top two, the greatest? How many does he have to win? In my mind, if he wins five championships, it's like Michael, LeBron, Steph, and Kobe. <laughs> I mean, if he gets five, and he changes the game the way everybody plays it, and, and in some ways that's true, he has, but that's kind of regressed a little bit now. Because other teams are finally starting to realize, like, we can't just shoot like they shoot, so let's stop doing it. Some teams haven't realized that yet, like Dallas, and they all just shoot. They'll go three for 40 one night and then, you know, 18 to 29 the next night, and they think they're awesome. It's like, shit is just, you ain't going to the championship that way. Steph Curry just shoots 40% from the three-point line every night. (laughs) So that's why people think he's changed the game. I'm not so sure that's actually the truth. In fact, I don't believe that's the truth. I think that's an illusion. Because people want to believe they can do what he can do. And that that's just not true. Otherwise, every NBA player who practices shooting all the time would be like him. So, it's just an illusion that you can be Steph Curry. You know, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> Neither can anybody. I think if he gets five championships, he becomes, you know, third on the all-time list. I know everybody wants to shit on me because I just leave off people like Kareem and Bill Russell. I just don't give a shit about those guys. I saw on the news the other day, somebody made a comment like, well, so-and-so is beating furniture movers and blah, blah, blah. And then I think it might have been like Jerry West was like, I guess Kareem was the best furniture mover ever. I'm like, you're talking like three guys in the NBA that were like that. And Jerry uses the three as his his example in defense, you know. And it's like, and it was. I think they're even talking before Jerry, Bill Russell. I think is who they mentioned, and Wilt. And it's like the majority of the league were was not that athletic. <laughs> I'm not saying Kareem and Wilt and Bill wouldn't be able to play in today's league. I'm just saying they're not on my all-time grades because one I didn't see them and two I don't believe the competition is even as good as it is today the competition today from top to bottom in the NBA is better than it's ever been 
guys are coming into the league and, and they're dominant and they're not even the number one pick and shit. Like it's it's a different league today. So when LeBron goes to the finals every year and Steph Curry wins five championships, you know it, the the league is similar to when Kobe still played. You know there was there's top to bottom just loaded all over the place. Same with similar to Michael. You know Michael same same way. I mean the modern era, the NBA has been loaded top to bottom. But it's just like back in the day with, uh, you know, like fucking Jim Brown. Jim Brown was dominating scrubs. (laughs) Not that he was bad or nothing. I'm just saying he was dominating scrubs. Because he was just so much better. Anyway. I think, I really believe that Golden State gets this done in four. There's no doubt about it. Golden State gets this done in four. I think there's a chance they lose game one, maybe, and they, it goes to five. But overall, I'm not entranced by this finals. Everyone that I see on TV, I was like, man, this is going to be really great. We've got a an all-time great franchise. And I'm like, yeah, but their team is just not that good. <laughs> it's just not. Marcus Smart's not that good. Winning defensive player of the year is just people voting. It doesn't mean you're the best defensive player in the league. It just means everybody voted you that for some reason. Probably because you're on the Celtics. <laughs> I just, I don't see it. I don't see it. They're just too inconsistent. They play in a series. They give you like three bad games. And if you do that against Golden State, you're going to be down 3-0. And it's over. You won't come back. You don't have LeBron and Kyrie. <laughs> so, you'll be fucked. Give me Golden State in four or five. I'm pretty confident about it. I'll give you guys some bets uh, tomorrow. The game's on Thursday night, so I'll give you guys some best bets on Wednesday night on my player props after I get a chance to see who's playing, who's not. <clears throat> There's a rumor that Andre Iguodala is going to play, and that kid that it was a Gary Payton Jr. that broke his arm, which apparently I guess he didn't break his arm. I guess that was all a fucking lie to get Dylan Brooks an extra game. I mean, that was really the the argument for that was their whole argument was. This guy broke his arm, and so he should be out another game. And it appears that he didn't break his arm if he's playing on Thursday night. And that was all just bullshit. And just kind of shoddy craftsmanship. I don't know. It's just like Bush League shit. Like, really? You just made all that shit up? This dude's not, his arm's not broken? You guys are like crying wolf and shit? You could, it looks terrible to me. Like, you look like cowards. If that's if he plays in this series, everything you said about his arm being broken and Dylan Brooks being this bad guy, like you guys are just fucking liars. And further prove my point that you're the Patriots of the NBA. You're just like fuck. It. You just find any way, and somehow they've twisted the narrative because because Steph's so nice, such a nice guy, and Steve Kerr's kind of like this open emotional guy. They're, they've they've created this persona that we're not the Patriots. And it's like yeah, you are. Fucking liars. Rumors are getting hot about LeBron and um, Kyrie reuniting in L.A. I kind of pointed that out a couple weeks ago. It's interesting. I think my best example of this is that I played in bands for I don't know how long. For many, many years. And I was in one band that I didn't really get along with a couple of the members. We played together for years. It was like a successful local kind of thing. I mean, successful enough, whatever. We just sold fucking records. It wasn't like, it was nothing. But the band itself had some magic to it. And I remember it. 
happening. And I remember the just me and the drummer like never got along. And yet our chemistry, him as a drummer, me as a guitar player at the time, was un, it's like I couldn't explain it. When we started playing, we were always so locked in together and it was unexplainable. And when we weren't playing, we just didn't like each other in the end. And me and a few other people, it just happens. Like we, None of us really were that close in this band. And yet we played so well, and we had to spend so much time together. It was very strange. And it was like, and we move on, and nobody really finds the kind of feeling of success in playing and kind of that magic. We don't capture that again with other people. And it is what it is. Now, Kyrie and LeBron... I find it to be a very similar situation where it's like a dr- the drummer and this dude and me where we didn't get along and yet or we it's like we got along but it wasn't it's like not a perfect match the 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 mindsets aren't the same the goals aren't the same just the way we look at the world isn't the same and uh, that's the similar problem for Kyrie and LeBron and yet when they play together it's magic and so. If they, if they can reunite somehow, some way, that would be pretty awesome. If they were able, if they were able to keep, I'll be honest with you. Like if they're able to keep AD, I, I would get it. I'd get rid of AD. <laughs> he plays as much as Kyrie. You know, I'd just come off of all these contracts. I'd keep LeBron and just get rid of everybody. If Kyrie wants to come over, great. Because in my mind, there's no way Brooklyn's just going to trade Westbrook and Ky- for Kyrie. Like, wh- they don't want that. They don't want Westbrook. Nobody wants Westbrook at this point. Nobody wants to deal with that. And they've already got Ben Simmons. So what are they going to? What? Why would that? Why would they do that? That's the only part of this I don't understand. Other than the fact that they just don't think Kyrie's one of them. He's not one of us. So we're going to trade him and bring in Westbrook, and hopefully him and KD can create that magic again as well. Now, those dudes straight up didn't like each other afterwards. I don't know if they've ever reconciled. I have no idea. But whatever. If that trade were to happen, I'd be all in. (laughs) You know, fuck it. I'm in. So we got UFC finally is back this weekend. We had that week off, and it just feels like a month when I don't have UFC fights. It really has become probably my favorite thing to watch. And I think that's part of a being a product of the modern era with internet and instant gratification and like a football game. When I was growing up, I used to watch football games, you know, start to finish. I just loved them. And now I watch the red zone where it just goes from game to game to game, showing me like action, action, action. I think what I like about a fight now is that most of the fights are three rounds, five, five minute, three rounds. And that keeps my attention the whole time. <laughs> That's like how much I can give you to one event. And then I'm watching these fights, and some of them I, I might lose my attention and I get on Reddit or something and fuck around. But overall, uh, they just keep coming, like next fight, next fight, next fight. And I just love it. It's like perfect for the mind of the futuristic uh, internet person, right? It's like, it's like constantly being bombarded with new. A football game is like, fucking three and a half hours of the same and I love it but now I watch it in a new way I don't even watch a whole game really anymore I watch I watch Red Zone and so UFC's back this weekend can't wait 
on Friday, we'll do our fight night picks them, pick them, and on you know as the week goes on, I'll have uh, we'll talk more in depth about a bunch of the fights. But there are a few fights that I wanted to talk about leading up. One of them's JJ Aldrich. She's a girl I've made some money on now. She's just like a boxer, really tough, really hard to beat. She just kind of puts her nose down, goes forward, and and punches. Like, I'm really excited for her. She's fighting Aaron Blanchfield. Uh, JJ's 11 and four. She's an up and comer. She's somebody they really want to to kind of climb the ranks. So I, I think she's kind of a shoe in for a win. Earlier in the night, one of my favorite fighters, and this is this is probably he's like one of my most underrated fa- uh, favorite fighters right now. And this is the test tonight, because this guy's twenty two and seven, and he 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 could have to me a very similar career arc like Charles Oliveira, where he he's unlocked it, and he's about to tear through this division. And I think that's Tony Gravely. I've watched this guy fight his last several fights. He is a national. I don't think he's a. I don't. He might have been a national championship, but he was a college wrestler, and he is at the top level of wrestling. He's fighting Johnny Munoz, who's eleven and one. And this is the first time I've seen him fight anybody that's going to be really difficult for him. If Tony Gravely gets this done this weekend, I think it'll really start showing that he's the kind of future bantamweight that people need to look out for. I've watched this guy fight a lot now. He's been really active in the last three years. And I've made some good money on Tony, and I'll, I'll be betting on him this weekend. He's a prelim fight, and so it's just a matter of time. If he keep, He's not an exciting fighter, and so it's going to take him some time to, to climb the ranks. He needs to get a knockout. That would be sick. The main event, a couple fights. There's a light heavy, uh, the Alonzo Menafield fight. He's he's badass. He's 11-3, and three, big, giant. He's fighting Askar Masaroff. Uh that's going to be fun. Yeah, will Alonzo be able to knock this dude's head off? We'll see. There's a flyweight fight that is going to be really interesting. I've never seen this. Ode Osborne has been sensational in his last couple outings. He's a flyweight. He's got knees, elbows, kicks, really spectacular standing, really nice body, like strong. He's fighting a guy... Couldn't even. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name, but he's only four and three. I don't. He must have been a replacement fighter because I don't remember what the hell happened here. Uh, Ode should get it done. I don't know if he's favorited yet. I haven't looked at the odds for the week yet. I've just kind of looked over the fights. Uh, one of the other fights, Dan Ige's fighting. <clears throat> now, he's fighting an undefeated Mazfar Evlyov. <laughs> I've watched this guy fight once. He's, uh, you know, what you expect a 15 and 0 fucking guy with a name like that to to look like and fight like so dan's a good wrestler though dan's good on the ground dan's kind of got everything and i just hate ever betting on against dan Ige. he's another one of those guys that's somebody i get really nervous about betting against and he's probably gonna be like plus 300 in this fight or something he's con like the consummate underdog <laughs> he's 15 and 5 though he's been really successful so I don't know who I take in that fight yet. As the week goes on, I'll do a little more research on both fighters, see how that goes. And then the main event is Alexander Volkov versus Jairo uh, Rosenstrike. Jairo has been my boy lately. He's twelve and three. His hands are just it, like maybe two years ago. His body finally took the turn from being kind of like a heavy set dude to being jacked. His shoulders, his chest, his arms. 
Like he was a little overweight the first couple of times I saw him fighting. Uh, not in not overweight, just not in the best shape. And you can see he's in really great shape now, and he's got really fantastic hands. Um, Volkov's not a guy that's going to try to take him down the whole time. Volkov's a kickboxer. So the real question is, can Jairzinho like handle the body kicks from Alexander Volkov, and when they get grappled up, can Jairzinho land an uppercut and you know decapitate <laughs> Volkov? We'll see. It's going to be sweet. I love a good heavyweight fight. I think the heavyweight to watch out for right now is Tom Aspinall. I think he's probably a future champion in the UFC. Uh, these two guys, Tom Aspinall is going to have to go through these guys at some point. One of them. It'll be interesting to see who wins this one. I want to talk some F1. I'm a Ferrari fan. Uh, mostly a Sebastian Vettel fan. He's been my favorite driver. I have a dog named Sebastian. <laughs> He's my guy. And, he, you know, when he was with Ferrari, I, I wanted him to win. He's left. I still pay attention to him. I still like him, but I've just always kind of liked Ferrari drivers. I just like Ferrari. It's great. If I have any power at Ferrari, I fire everybody in the paddock. <laughs> I fire everybody after Monaco. When they pitted Leclerc first, over signs and signs overruled their dis- a couple things happened a lot of people want to blame Ferrari for what happened but really you need to blame Carlos signs because he disobeyed his order to come in what they were trying to do even though he didn't want to come in they were trying to cover Perez on the undercut with Carlos signs since he wasn't in first place now, Carlos said, I'm not coming in and stayed out. And then Ferrari's like, well, shit, we got to cover the undercut. And so they brought in Leclerc, not thinking, just not, I don't, it was just like airheaded. They just didn't know what to do. The rain kind of threw things off. And then they pitted him again for new tires. It was a complete fucking disaster. I'd fire Carlos Sainz. I'd fire Badotto. I'd fire that whole fucking team. Everybody, get the fuck out. Everybody but Leclerc, get the fuck out of here. I'm not some new Formula One fan. That dude has been there making decisions like this for years. Absolutely butchering. And Here's the thing that blows my mind, and I was talking to a fan recently about this. I'm pretty strong with math. I'm not great. I've been around people that are great. In my mind, Formula One teams should have analytically the smartest people you can find. Like like physicists and shit are calculating every scenario for what they're about to do. And me sitting on my fucking couch with my wife and watching the game, I'm like, I know exactly what to do. Why didn't you do that? Why didn't it, it just, I couldn't believe it. It's like they tried to outthink themselves. They tried to be too smart, and they fucking blew it. And Leclerc lost, and he's not going to be a world champion. Ferrari's not going to be able to win a world championship this year. They're not capable. And it's not because of their driver, and it's not because of their car. So you can't, you got to tell me, what the fuck is it? There is a fundamental problem at Ferrari. I was livid this weekend. I could not believe how fucking dumb that was. And I'm not like a huge Ferrari fan. I'm a, I'm a Formula One fan. I like drivers. 
And so right now, and like I used to say, I liked Max Verstappen for years. And then, you know, my wife, after he started wrecking into Leclerc, I had to come to the Leclerc side. You know what? It, I mean, if you're married and your wife decides to like Formula One and she picks a driver and he's your driver's villain, just start liking her driver. Just be stoked your wife is into whatever it is you're into. So now I'm a Leclerc fan, right? He's my guy. And she's totally fine with me liking Vettel and shit, but she hates Max Verstappen. <laughs> a couple years ago, they were, like, smashing into each other and shit, and she just hates him. And so as I'm watching Ferrari and I'm watching this whole thing unfold at Monaco, it's like there's only one way to win at Monaco. That's at the quali. If you secure, secure pole at, at Monaco, you should win. Now, the other way to win is if you don't, is to get the undercut. You can't pass people on the track. I mean, of course, at the back, people are like, what about fucking Pierre Gasly? He passed somebody. It's like, I don't fucking care. Those guys aren't going the same speed as these guys at the front. The amount of speed you need for how long some of the, the passing areas are, it's just, there's just not enough. And so, as I'm watching, the only other way to do it is in the pit. You can pass people in the pit at Monaco, and that's what Red Bull did, and they got the win. And Ferrari, it it is unexcusable to get passed in the pit. You cannot let an undercut in the pit beat you. And to me, it's a fireable offense. I'd get rid of everybody there. All your analytic guys, get the fuck out of here. Sorry, you're not smart enough. That was it was it was one of the most epic failures I've seen from Ferrari in many in in this season. Really, this season, it's more of what they were doing in the last couple of years, which was fucking embarrassing couldn't handle it the indy 500 though came on after monaco and i hadn't watched it in a while (laughs) it's been a minute since i watched it i guess that's not true i watch it every year but i just forget because i don't watch indy car racing all year long i just watch the indy 500 so when it it always catches me off guard i'm like oh yeah it's memorial weekend and the indy 500's on these fucking guys like i realize it's just an oval but holy fuck I don't know why it seems crazier than Formula One. It seems it, it is though. It seems crazier. Like I can't believe how fast and reckless these drivers are. And there's a shit ton of them on the track. That's the other thing. In Formula One, you want to believe that there's every driver on the track is one of the greatest in the world, which isn't true, but whatever. They'll tell you that. These are the greatest drivers in the world. And it's like, no. I can guarantee you. Just from like fucking my eye racing and shit, that Lance Stroll's not a better driver than me. He's a good driver, but ultimately he's just like a super rich kid. <laughs> you know, some of those kids that some of those drivers are the best drivers in the world. There's no doubt. But then then there's you know there's always a few drivers on the track that it's like, eh, are you the best driver? I don't know. Probably not. You're you're probably as good as anybody that just had enough training to go out there. But the Indy 500 is full of people that shouldn't be out there driving. Like, full of them. There's like a handful of great drivers, and then just like every all these teams with like fucking five drivers, all these cars, they make they make people like come out because they're just so far behind. Like, you, you can't be out there any longer, so they cancel you. Um, the Herda kid, I guess during qualifier, flipped like eight times. I mean, they're going so fast. And there are so, like I said, there's so many drivers that shouldn't be out there. I think there were, there were like 20 yellow flags, a couple red flags. There was a red flag with five laps to go 
And so a restart with five laps and this Mexican driver, uh, Pato Award, Pato Award, he had a chance to win it. That would have been two Mexican drivers, one winning Monaco, one winning the Indy 500 in the same day. That would have been awesome. thought that would have been fucking cool. But that's not how it worked out. Uh, Erickson ended up winning the Indy 500. Happy for him. He just hung around at the top the whole time. Didn't lead till the end. Just He's like one of those drivers I was talking about a few weeks ago. One of these guys I like where it's like, I make no mistakes. I just wait for everybody else to fuck up. And then I just slide right in and win the race. It, they're so unassuming. You barely notice them the whole goddamn day. And then at the end of the day, they're right there waiting. And that's what Erickson was doing. And then, it, and then he defended at the end. He had one shot. Pato had one shot to get by him. And uh, Erickson defended it amazing and, and won the Indy 500. It was really sweet. Indy 500 is cool. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to watch that one, it is action-packed, man. Rex, just like nonstop. I can't believe it. I can't believe they let those drivers, some of those drivers out there. Overall, we got a sweet week. Thursday night will be the opening of the Golden State Celtics series. Saturday, we got fight night again, which is going to be sweet. And uh, some more Formula One to come. Glad to be back this week. I'll talk to you guys soon. Peace.